Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to show your authority through his works, and that he too shares in that authority here on earth and into eternity. Let our lives reflect that and live in submission to his authority. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. As most of you know, we spent, my wife and I, and Lucy and the dog and various parents, spent the last three weeks down at Phoenix Children's Hospital where Sam had yet another valve repair. I won't go into details now, but I'll update you all afterwards. But normally when we go down to PCH, we stay at this place called Ronald McDonald House, which probably most of you have heard of, and is a wonderful place, but for various reasons this time, insurance put us up in a hotel near the hospital. And like many hotels in the lobby, they have breakfast every morning, and during that breakfast hour, several hours, they blare cable news across the thing, and, and well, I'm assuming now that many of you share my thoughts on cable news... It's not the first choice that I would have. It might very well be the last choice. But what was really fascinating about this is they had two competing news channels. You can probably guess which ones, but I'm not going to tell you. And they would show the same four or five stories. But you could see their biases so very clearly as you watch these stories play out on these two different channels and how they approached them and all of that. And one of the ways that their biases became clear is that they appealed to certain authorities that would back them up in this bias, biases. See, authorities we, we tend to kind of want to listen to, but then we also have this tension within our lives where we don't necessarily want to listen to them. And, and, and more often than not, we kind of get nervous when people act as authorities or too much of as authorities. We kind of want to hear the authorities that say, what you're thinking and doing is wonderful and great, And the moment an authority kind of goes against that, we're like, no, that person's stupid and doesn't know what they're talking about. The reality where we we sort of buckle against authority isn't new to us. If you go all the way back to the beginning of humanity, back to Adam and Eve, where they ate the fruit, what they're doing isn't like the serpent kind of seems to tempt her because it looks really yummy, but the temptation isn't, oh, is this going to be yummy? The temptation is, Who do you want to be your authority? Adam and Eve. And so when she takes the fruit and eats it, and when Adam shares it with her, they say, we don't want God to be our authority. We want to be our own authority. We want to know how to tell what is good and evil. This morning, we continue on through the gospel according to St. Mark. And we're now on this third day where Jesus comes into Jerusalem preparing for the Passover. If you remember back to the first day, it was the triumphal entry, which we, of course, celebrate or remember as Palm Sunday later on, but we also observe during Advent as we begin that season. This, this, this triumphal entry was kind of amazing and glorious, but it was enough to start to make the, the local authorities and leaders feel uncomfortable. Undoubtedly, they're already starting to ask, well, who does this guy think that he is? The next day he enters into Jerusalem and he does this odd thing where he curses a fig tree 
And then the following day, they're coming back in, which is the day we're on now, and, and they, they see the fig tree is withered, and it reminds them of Jesus' authority over nature. And this authority, both over nature and in general, is a theme that weaves its way through the gospel according to St. Mark, and perhaps you've picked up on it as we've walked our way through it. But the fig tree was just a private display for his disciples, but that on that second day, he does yet another thing that starts to kind of raise the heckles or, or causes the, the leaders to be really uncomfortable. If you remember, he throws over the tables of the, of the uh, money changers and, and that sort of thing. As many of you know, before I entered full-time ministry, I worked in biology, and one of the things we learned a great deal about was was how fragile ecosystems are. And perhaps you've heard this before. If you just add the smallest thing into an ecosystem, you know, change the temperature or you add a creature that wasn't originally there or something like that, it has the potential to totally throw the whole ecosystem off. The example that I always think of is the, the zebra mussels in the Great Lakes and how, how they kind of came in from shipping and it's just wreaked havoc on the Great Lakes. And it's for this reason the scientists get so antsy when invasive species show up. They inv- the introduction of a foreign species ends up having a domino effect on the natural ecosystem. Of course, this is what the, the authorities fear. They fear that if, if even the slightest bit of their ecosystem, if you will, gets, gets moved a little bit, everything is going to go to whack. Everything is stable before Jesus comes along, and reasonably good. Sure, it'd be nice if the Romans would leave us a little more alone, but they tolerate us, and that's fine and good. The vendors get their money. People can make their sacrifice. We can make the sacrifice for the people, and everything is status quo, and everyone is happy. And then this itinerant preacher comes along, throwing over tables and and just throwing everything out of whack. And this is the setting that we have to be thinking of when we enter into the little pericope that we read this morning, the little passage that we read this morning. Everybody's starting to get on edge because of this, this wild itinerant preacher. He's in back into the temple grounds, and in this area, it's common for preachers and teachers to kind of find a colonnade or a place of shade and start teaching, which would have enough shade for people to sit under the hot Middle Eastern sun and just listen to what they have to say. And as this is happening, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders come to Jesus. And it, it really sounds like they're, they're coming out in force now. And they ask him a question. And if we're honest, it's actually a really good question. It's a, it's a natural question, and in fact a question sometimes we should ask of various things in our lives. They ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority? how we ask questions is really important. While we were in the hospital, one of the things that I kind of enjoyed doing was talking to the nurses and getting to know a little bit about them. And I kind of enjoyed finding out why they got into pediatric cardiology specifically, or sometimes other things when they were floated onto the floor. And the question was really a simple question. I would often ask them, well, how did you end up in pediatric cardiology? And this was an invitation, and it often led to them sharing their life's journey, how life events shaped them as a person, personal illnesses or experiences with brothers and sisters or parents. And the answers were always really fascinating. But now imagine if I had asked that question just slightly differently. 
Instead of saying, well, how did you end up here? I said, well, how did you end up here? Right? Even just, just changing the way I say you changes how that question comes across. And instead of finding out more about them, I'd be challenging them and probably perhaps suggesting that they're not very good at their job. They're all wonderful, by the way. And this is really what, what's happening with the religious leaders, right? This, this is, in fact, a good question. But they, as we continue to read on and how Jesus responds to them, we realize that religious authorities aren't curious about this Jesus man. They don't want to get to know him better. They don't want to know who he is. They want to challenge him. They want to tear him down, perhaps, in front of those who are following him. <clears throat> and Jesus' response makes it very clear that this is not a friendly conversation. <clears throat> Jesus says to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. If you paid attention when we were reading the gospel lesson this morning, you know that he said, answer me twice. And both times he says it's, it's not like leaving a, a voicemail or asking your friend like, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to do this thing. When you have a second, give me an answer, right? It's a very natural thing to say. What he's doing is much more like, like a cop show or a courtroom drama where they're like, give me the answer now, right? It's a, it's a demand. It's not a pleasant question. The text, of course, doesn't make it clear exactly why he's upset. It's not clear if he's upset because it seems like they're denying his authority or the authority it hold, or simply that he's matching the tone that they already approached him with. But one thing we do know is that Jesus knew the hearts of men and knows the hearts of men and women today. And so, at the very least, we know that he's matching their intention. He continues with his question that he wants them to answer. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. By saying answer me twice, he makes clear that he believes that he has the authority in this conversation. He says it twice to make it clear that he has the authority to demand this answer from them. Jesus knows that his authority is self-sufficient. <clears throat> he does not need permission from anyone else to speak, anyone else to ask these questions. Now, the question about who John the Baptist was is rather interesting, because if we look back at history at that time, John the Baptist seems to have had much more effect on the community than Jesus did. Jesus, John the Baptist was rather popular, and if you look at things like Josephus, there's lots written about him by that, that Jewish historian. And, and this might seem shocking, but if we think about this for a minute, John's ministry was pretty wide and relatively easy to accept. His message was very simple. Repent. Repent because something greater than me is coming. Jesus, on the other hand, really had effect on 12 men and maybe a few people in Galilee and the surrounding areas. And it took a while for, for this to, to spread out. And of course, we know that it did spread and it never stopped spreading. And there's very few corners of the earth where Christianity has not yet 
reached. John the Baptist's message, as we said, was simple. That of preparation, repentance, to prepare the one for the coming, of course, of Jesus. But even that message was enough to mess with the fragile ecosystem of the religion of that time. Because ultimately, he had really harsh words, if we remember, against the religious authorities. So that's why Jesus' question is so poignant. Does John calling you a brood of vipers, was that from God? Or was that just the thing of man? How would you answer that? I'm not entirely sure how I would answer it, but I'd probably be very uncomfortable. <clears throat> so Jesus now challenges them. Would they admit that John came with authority from God, that they would turn and follow God and follow the one that was coming after John? Or would they turn their back on John and turn their back on the possibility that what John had to say was true? And so we see the religious leaders as they discuss it with one another, saying, if we say that it's from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a, pro a prophet. What's happening here is the religious leaders start to debate. It's not just a pleasant little discussion. They're debating. How do we answer this question? And, and we see in this debate two things that hold people back from coming to know Jesus. Pride and fear. Pride because to acknowledge that John was from heaven meant that they would have to submit to John's authority and subsequently submit to Jesus' authority, which meant their authority would diminish. Fear because it would mean that their life, their internal systems, would have a major change. And that's a big thing to ask of a person. And instead, the authorities land in this cowardly place. Instead of coming up with an answer, instead of answering Jesus' direct question, they refuse to answer and say, we do not know. We do not know. And so Jesus responds, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The natural flow of this passage really leads us into chapter 12, but I wanted to kind of pause and end here today because, because by him answering that I'm not going to answer your question asks you a question, asks each and every one of us who reads this a question. By what authority, what authority does Jesus have for you? Perhaps you were raised in church, and you've always come to church every Sunday, week in and week out, and it's been a thing that you've always done, and then you forget about it the rest of the week, and you come back next Sunday. And it's a lovely thing. But Jesus' authority is minimal to none in your life. Perhaps you're on the fence this morning. Perhaps you're not really sure that the claims that I make and Mark makes and everyone else here makes about Jesus is true. Maybe his authority isn't real for you yet. Perhaps you're committed to Christ, but still 
deny him to have part of authority in your life. Some part of your life. Perhaps you don't allow him to have authority over your finances or your relationships or your friendships or your home life. Perhaps there's something you're holding back from him. We started with this illustration of, of media and how they play authority and how we either love it because it affirms what we say or, or we bristle against it because it, we don't like what they say. We so often fight authority in our lives like the religious authority, whether it be worldly authority or authority, spiritual authority. And yet each one of you is called today. Each person that is here today, is being called by Jesus, telling you that he has the right to have authority in your life. Certainly you can respond with pride and say, no, my autonomy, my identity, my preferences, my position is more important than Jesus. Certainly you can respond with fear, Fear that if you let go and trust him completely with all aspects of your life, you may lose something vital to yourself. You may be called to something you would never imagine, and that is a scary thing. Or you can respond by the power of the Holy Spirit with faith, knowing that Jesus is right to call us into his authority. Knowing that Jesus, knowing that what Mark has been showing us for the last 11 chapters is that yes, Jesus has the right to claim authority in our lives, in the world, and into eternity. Knowing that Jesus has the right to call you to bend before him. Knowing that what Mark has shown us about the nature of who Jesus is, that the claims he has made are genuine and not just genuine, but good. So to answer this question today, by what authority does Jesus lay claim to your life? Who gave him the authority to claim you as his own? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.